it's saturday august 29th welcome to a new episode of bazaar i'm your host sid and with me today is sonakshi gupta it's great to have you on the show sonakshi thank you sir it's my pleasure so the entire idea of today's episode actually came when i read sonakshi's article on payments bank you know she i didn't know you had this skill i was really surprised you are an amazing writer like let me just put it out there and the entire idea of today's podcast came from sonakshi's article which she wrote about the entire payments industry and how it does not make sense to you know be run as a payments bank anymore so before we dive deeper into that i'll just give you a brief of what today's episode is going to be about we are going to be talking about the difference between a, a payments bank and a mobile wallet until we had the discussion you know when i first spoke to sonakshi i didn't know that you know there was a difference so there is a big difference and we'll also talk about sonakshi's recent article where she talks about the business model of a payments bank and you know whether it makes any sense to run a payments bank so that's going to be there on the cards but first let's talk about the potential of the indian digital payment space because since 2016 modi has been pushing really hard for indian citizens to go cashless you know when the historic demonetization was announced it actually seems just like yesterday but it was a big thing back then and ever since then you know digital payments have been on the rise and actually it was covid that has really accelerated this trend and if you looked at my wallet right now you'll only find 100 rupees so if i if i ever got lost in a jungle without my debit card you know my life's over and and people have really you know who who have never paid a bill online in their lives before they're using upi they're using all these new mobile wallets to transact you know it's very exciting and i mean the digital payments space is growing rapidly isn't it yes in fact right now i feel we're just witnessing a war on cash so much so that cashless has just become a buzzword and digital payments are like an integral part of our lives i mean i remember i used a paytm for the first time after demonetization which is like almost 3 4 years back and now i can't even imagine a life without it it's just inseparable uh, especially also if you look at the growth in upi transactions the concept was floated around 3 years back and today we have like around 800 million monthly transactions through upi so wow which is just honestly mind boggling and i feel that's why companies even want to capture this market because there is so much of money to be made here and just to quote a few stats i mean you know to add some more factual information here the total transaction value of digital payments is also expected to grow at a cagr of say 19.5% in the next 5 years wow, wow. which is like doubling almost every 4 years yeah and very few industries can actually boast of such a growth rate which is why i feel companies like google pay phone pay paytm and others will just do anything to grab a piece of this pie this pie is really going huge yeah i mean the the potential here is obvious and big tech companies are also investing in these companies and definitely i mean the potential in digital payments is huge especially in india and as per a recent article in economic times when i was doing my research i found that you know the volume of digital payments in india is set to reach around 100 trillion dollars by 2025 that's 14 zeros and we are already witnessing a structural shift in the way people transact everyone is moving towards cashless that said you know i feel that even now in in rural areas of the economy cash is still preferred you know it's it's still the way people transact and 
I don't think that that's going to change in the next five years. You know, you can't change the way it's going to take more than that. A lot of education needs to happen in the rural areas of India before we can see a significant jump in the user count. But even though, you know, if even if you discount the rural areas, I think I believe that India is going to be the fastest growing market in the digital payment space. And obviously that's the reason why players like Google phone pay, you know, Flipkart through phone pay and other players really have stepped up and they're also finding out innovative ways to attract more customers to their platforms. Yes, I think I totally agree with that. In fact, you remember those stamps that Google pay had released (laughs) during Diwali? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So people were literally going crazy. I mean, the volume of transactions increased, the ticket size of each transaction increased. They also gave those uh, occasions scratch cards, if you remember. I know it always said better luck next time, but it did attract some traction for some time. And yeah, these companies do have a lot of tricks down their sleeves. And they really seem to understand what motivates and takes their Indian customer, you know. They're really good with that. I cannot agree with you more when it comes to those scratch cards because every time I make a payment and you know, I'm just, I don't even scratch anymore. I'm like, let's leave it because it's not going to work out. So that's a very good marketing tactic. Definitely. And yeah, about that, uh, stamps, you know, I remember I never got that Rangoli stamp. Well, well played, well played Google. Yeah. And when we were discussing, you also told me how the term payments bank and mobile wallets are just thrown around, you know, you know, they're used Hmm. interchangeably and people don't really know anything. And I was also one of them because before I spoke to you, I was like, my first reaction was they have different meanings because I never paid attention to the technicality of it before. So tell us something about that. What, what is the difference between a payments bank and a mobile wallet? Okay. Right. So, well, um, If I have to tell you, a payments bank and a mobile wallet, in terms of objectives, they have roughly the same objective. That is to increase digital transactions. But you need to understand that the way they operate, they are structured quite differently. For instance, payment banks are regulated by RBI and they need a minimum paid up capital of rupees 100 crore. And here's the important part, the most important in fact, a payments bank can accept deposits but it cannot lend that money and they have to pay Mm. interest to the depositors, but they cannot take any interest on their loans. And also what's funny is that they have very limited venues to invest this money. I mean, they are compelled to invest 75% of these deposits in government securities, treasury bills, which are like the safest instruments. And so Mm. obviously less of the risk, less of the return and the remaining 25% in FDs. Who invests such a high percentage in FDs anymore? But turns out a payments bank does. And on the other hand, to put it simply, mobile wallets are like a subset of a payments bank. There are few regulations, no need to pay interest to people who deposit money and are more flexible. So they're not really run like a bank as against a payment bank, which has certain strict regulations in terms of deposits. So according to the definition and as per the regulations, I mean... What's what's in it for the payments bank then? Because from a payments bank's perspective, I think, is there any money to be made here in the first place? Because, you know, investing in these avenues isn't that great. And I, I read your article and I like how you, you know, explored the business model as well of the of the payments bank. So tell us something about that as well. Right. So that's an interesting question here, because strictly speaking, according to me, it doesn't make business sense to operate a payments bank. Like traditional banks, as we all know, earn something called a net interest income. 
which is the difference of the interest earned on loans and interest paid to depositors. But with a payments bank, which can't really lend any money, there is no concept of NII. So I mean, how much interest would you earn on these government securities and treasury bills? So no wonder most of these payments banks are reeling under losses. In fact, um, mm. just to you know, quote there, the consolidated losses of all the payments bank were around 630 INR crore compared to 515 crores a year ago. So I mean, the losses are just increasing and thanks to their business model probably. <laughs> so they've got to figure out a way to leverage that customer base and look for alternate avenues to keep the revenues coming. Because we know five out of 11 payments banks have shut shop in the past, which is good enough evidence of what this model and situation could possibly lead to. And also, you know, the main purpose of setting up these payments banks was to increase financial inclusion in rural areas. That only works if you're making profit too. You cannot really do it if you are reeling under losses like this. Yeah, I I know that. And, you know, uh, so if, if, if I'm correct, even the RBI is coming out and saying that like if you're a payments bank, you shouldn't be in business. Uh, it's that's yeah, what RBI is saying like right now. Yeah. Because, because a payments bank can accept deposits from the customers, but cannot lend that money. And I mean, that does not make sense in the first place. Like why would RBI create a regulation in such a way? But anyways, you know, I also like the point you mentioned about net interest rate because to cover your operating expenses and to be profitable, I think you need at least three or 4% of net interest income. But I mean, if even if we take out the lending out of the playbook here, these payments bank won't make money through investments as well because uh, government securities and FDs, they generate a pretty low yield and you need to pay at least five or 6% of interest to your depositors because even savings banks nowadays, they're paying around four to 6%. So you need to pay well. So no wonder that, you know, these payments banks are making losses. And I agree about your point that you made about, you know, leveraging those customers, because that's what I think the idea here is. And I think, I think these businesses are also in the process of setting up new revenue streams, because for example, recently we heard about, you know, how Paytm is entering into the brokerage business. They also could set up a asset management company and very easily earn management fees from it. So you know, these could be some of the ways that they could leverage. And this is something that could work out for them. But if it does not work out, then you're just doing social service and which, which is great if you're an NGO, but if you're a business, those investors are gonna suck on your blood and, you know, probably not fund your idea anymore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just to the point I'd say. And also to wrap it up, I'd like to say the traditional banks, should take an initiative to expand rapidly and cover backward and rural areas because ultimately they are needed in this process. You can't rely on any other model. They are much better positioned than a mobile wallet or a payment bank to really speed up the financial inclusion in India. I mean, nothing can beat them. They're the foundation of the system. And in fact, believe it or not, as per the last census, only 54% of rural households avail banking services, which is not a very optimistic number. <laughs> Cash is still the king, yes. But I feel traditional banks need to step in because they already have the infrastructure in place so they can better manage their cost and profits. And also, there's a green light from the finance ministry. So it issued a mandate to the private and public banks to open a branch within 15 kilometer radius of a village with no banking facilities. But again, it remains to see how far the directives get fulfilled because we have a lot of laws and you know regulations mm. in place, but implementation is where we get stuck. 
So let's see how it goes. Oh, and lastly, not to mention that when these traditional banks need to step in the rural areas, the cost of operating in a rural setup are likely to shoot up thanks to frequent loan waivers, defaults. But I feel this is exactly the point where the government needs to step in and support them via taxes, subsidies, ruling against waivers and such similar points because they need to work in cooperation to get this model to success. Yeah. Look, I, I agree with you. I mean, the reason why China is so ahead of us is because, you know, we are so slow in the implementation of good policies and law that till the time we implement something, we're already far behind. So I agree. I mean, the mandate and, you know, the directives, they need to be I mean, fulfilled and implemented in a very quick way. And even if you look from a bank's perspective, I think it makes sense to, you know, start ramping up their rural presence because... I think you can get land at very cheap rates. There's also cheap labor. And, you know, you also get brownie points from central and state government via, you know, tax subsidies or some other way of benefits. So that makes sense if you're a bank. And also, I feel that, you know, rural is where the next wave of growth is going to happen because we have maxed out or maybe, you know, urban as a segment has, you know, saturated. So rural is going to, you know, give a lot of growth. And, when it does, your branch is going to be there and, you know, you're going to reap the benefits. So, you know, it, it makes sense for a bank to set up shop in a rural area. Either ways, to conclude, I would say the future looks very bright for the Indian financial sector and for the digital payments sector in particular. Definitely. Totally agreed with that. All right, Sonakshi, it was a pleasure having you on the show. You know, this is the first time we're doing this, but I had a great time and I hope to see you more on the show. Thank you so much, Adhat. It was a pleasure doing this with you also and quite a good experience. Looking forward to more such sessions. Alright guys, that does it for today's edition of Bazaar. People on the show may have certain recommendations to buy or sell, but don't buy or sell based on what you hear. Do your own research before you make any informed decision. You can reach out to us at the bazaarpodcast at gmail.com. It would mean everything to us if you just gave us your feedback because... Honestly, we do this for the listeners and we want to make this a great listening experience. So do reach out to us. We will see you next week.